0: This is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. That's it, baby the foul.
1: Now
0: you put it in the front page, back page, middle page, wherever. Headliners, combo one or two, we will win game two. Get back on. We will win game two. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. We are your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. And we are back with a we're going old school. We're going real old school this week. And Keith, I I is he's grit, he's just ear to ear with that grin because, like, if you know Keith, you know Keith is like uh he he is a, a basketball savant and his knowledge goes back. Savant, that's a good thing, right? No, savant is not a good thing, no speak say it no no you're good
1: you're good
0: he's a basketball I, I, genius i will
1: take i will take it as a compliment sir okay
0: he's he not a savant because he is good at other things uh, he but his 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 knowledge is deep rooted in basketball and it goes back to the early 1800s uh it, it would see i mean he could tell you about abraham lincoln dunking on you know his policy makers when he was president uh, we, can go
1: back, we can go back about like a thousand years, talk, talk about the, the Mayans and their, their early form of basketball in the I don't
0: know eight nine nine hundreds, eight hundreds. Right. I would see what I'm saying. The guy just knows he knows ball. Uh but that's not where we're going we're not going to the Mayans. We're not gonna talk about Abraham Lincoln duging on his vice president. We're 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 talking about uh Detroit legend, former Detroit mayor, uh Dave Bing. Really, um Maybe the first great Detroit Pistons player outside of Bob Lanier uh, that 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 everyone that everyone knows not 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 guys from the 50s or 60s, but like everybody he, knows who Dave Bing.
1: Did. He actually preceded Bob Lanier by a few years, so even okay. if you count Bob Lanier as great, which I do, Dave Bing was still the first.
0: Well, I didn't want somebody, you know, you or like uh, Nick Hankel to start talking about George Yardley or something like that. Well, Nobody remembers that. Look, guy.
1: There, there are multiple. <laughs> You know, Pistons that are in the Hall of Fame uh prior to Dave Bing. But if we're just talking Detroit Pistons history, I, I think that's there needs to be a specific line there. Uh if you count Detroit Pistons history as beginning in 1957-58, yes, Dave Bing uh was the very first uh quote unquote superstar uh to wear a Detroit Pistons uniform. With all due respect to George Ardley, he had one really good season and that was it, and, and uh, things went downhill. And he, he demanded a trade. So, uh, so the, if you count the Fort Wayne years, then yeah, you have George Yardley, and you have other guys before, like uh, you know Bob McDermott and Buddy Jeanette, which we'll go over them at, at another point in history because I, I think they're were, they were very entertaining as well. But right. Just we're talking Detroit Pistons right now. There's a reason we call oh, this show geez. Bad Boys and Beyond. And yeah. <laughs> yes, Dave Bing was the very first Detroit Pistons superstar.
0: You give Keith an inch and he'll give you a mile. I, I mean, he's he's going all the way back to Buddy Jeanette and guys that nobody's jumping Jim Brewer and all these guys no one's ever heard of. But uh it's fine. We'll talk about those guys. They we'll get episodes at some point. We'll do we'll do those things. I will, I promise you. Uh but today we're gonna talk about the man Dave Bing. Uh, but before we get into that. Pistons have played three games since the last time we talked to all you guys and had a show uh let's talk about it I mean they 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 go into Charlotte they get a win there Chicago uh at home like one of the most exciting Pistons games that I have seen since I think I was still in high school uh got a little humbled uh you know on Monday night against the Oklahoma City team that is you know a very gonna be a very dangerous out for just about anybody this year but I see a ton of promise for this season after what I've seen in four games especially in you know against Chicago I just I saw a team that was running and gunning and is just making plays and hitting the open three which is something I really wanted them to do last year and they were just incapable of doing and playing defense my god also Asar Thompson like it's good for two to three blocks a game at this point like He's special on defensive end, for sure. Keith, your thoughts? Yeah,
1: I, I think in terms of uh, the most uh, positive, surprising thing we've seen in this first full week of, of Pistons basketball for this season, I think Asar Thompson is easily the winner. Uh, look, we all know he was going to be starting coming into the season. Uh, we knew he would be a work in progress offensively, especially his shot just isn't really there. His handle is... I think what people don't realize, I think his handle is as much of a struggle for him as his outside shot right now. Uh, his dribble is too high. It's, it needs to, he needs to tighten it up and that's going to happen uh, over time. It's not going to happen overnight. So he, that's probably going to be a problem. He's going to have for the rest of the season at least. Uh, but in, in general, uh, the, the fact that he can do so many spectacular things, uh, I think we already knew he was a good defender. Uh, I think he's already a, a very, very good defender. I don't, Think he needs? I don't think we're hoping he becomes a great defender. I think he could be one in the next couple of months once he gets, you know, his feet under him. He is that good, and he's not just good, uh, in ISO situations. He is is excellent as a help side defender. He's coming out and and blocking shots at the rim, uh, coming over from weak side. Uh, I I am blown away by the the effect that he can have. Uh, in the half court defensively as a as a wing is not even a big uh, averaging double digit rebounds <laughs> and he's he's already a pretty good passer so I I think that's the the most positive thing uh, among the negatives everyone complains about the spacing it, to me I just think this team is super young uh, as James Edwards pointed out this is right now the currently the youngest starting five in the NBA uh, they are going to have chemistry issues. Uh, they're, they're going to make mistakes in the half court, especially when they don't have a bunch of pure shooters uh, to space everything out. But I, I want to say this, uh, the, the Pistons are dead last in the NBA in three point attempts per game. And that's not good, uh, but they're fourth at three point percentage. So I would very much like them to in this, I think has to do a lot with Kate Cunningham, fair or not. I think he needs to start trusting his teammates just a little bit more because we have a lot of these drives into traffic where, you know, there's, he's getting double and triple teamed and we're, we're getting turnovers. But the problem is like you see, I have Isaiah Stewart in the court. Isaiah Stewart's shooting over well over 40% from three on the season. Uh, Maybe we should try trusting uh, our shooters a little bit more. Yeah. Killian Hayes can't shoot and that's a problem and that'll get resolved. Uh, when the Pistons get healthier, other than that, though, I think they have more than enough players, more than enough shooters, uh, to run a competent half court offense. I think they just need to figure out their timing and their chemistry.
0: So I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make a couple of proclamations here and I might be wrong by the end of the season. And that's fine. It's four games. I'm overreacting. That's fine. Whatever. By the end of the season, the Pistons are in the play This is a play-in team. I I have no doubts. I'm calling it right now. This team makes the play Uh and I think they win that game. I think they're the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs. Uh I think this is just the beginning. He, he's smiling at me right now. He 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 knows what I'm doing. He knows that I'm that I'm I'm extending myself here. Uh a little bit. And I'm also I gonna I don't think you're crazy, but look, I I think we need to break this down. By the
1: numbers uh what does it mean to be a playing team it means you're in one of the top 10 teams in your conference in a 15 team uh, 15 team conference that doesn't sound uh all, all that insurmountable i mean that's that seems like a reachable goal yeah so in my estimation these are the five worst teams in the eastern conference or the six worst teams you have detroit of course you have washington you have charlotte you have brooklyn you have toronto uh I'm gonna throw in Orlando in there, uh, just because in Chicago. So that's what one, two, three, four, five, six teams. Pistons have to be better than five of them.
0: Uh, you don't, you Park, don't put Chicago, they, Chicago near the you don't put Chicago near the the front line front of the line. No, I, mean, I, don't think
1: Chicago's, I don't think Chicago's very good. I
0: they're a playoff team last year. No, they weren't. They didn't make the playoffs last year. Or, excuse me, they made the play-in, but they got eliminated
1: in the play-in.
0: Okay, my fault, my fault. End. All right, I see what you're saying. Okay.
1: And not only that, Chicago is that one team because they're old. They're clearly older than everybody else that's around them. So while everyone else is on their way up, Chicago's just trying to sustain their level of play. They're not going to get better. They can only really get worse at this point. And I think I saw a lot of cracks in their team. Uh, Again, very, very early, but – I saw a lot of cracks in their team, just the fact that I don't think their chemistry is great. Uh, Zach Levine had 51 points, uh, no assists, and I don't think anyone was happy for him scoring the 51. Uh, their three best players are all mediocre defenders at best. I, I, I think I, Lonzo Ball, I think, would make that, them a playoff team comfortably. Without Lonzo Ball, uh, I, I think they have some issues. And they're, they're not getting uh contributions out of their other young guys that they were hoping to at this point right um but yeah if if you look at the the bottom teams in the east the, the pistons would have to surpass pretty much all of them i think there's a chance that they could do that i i don't know if it's a better than 50 50 chance i if i had to bet money i would say the pistons are on the outside of the plan but it's not an unrealistic dream especially with how hard they've been playing Uh, I'm I'm really loving the job that Monty Williams is doing so far in the the entire coaching staff I think they're getting a lot out of this team and I think people maybe shouldn't overreact to one or two uh, clunkers because that's going to happen it's a young team they're not used to winning they have to learn
0: yeah no I I could not agree with you more this is I've I've seen a hustle that I just didn't see with Dwayne Casey and that's that's nothing against Dwayne Casey. I just think that Monty has a different coaching philosophy and, and it and it's working. It's working a lot better than what Dwayne was doing. And uh Dwayne is a good leader of men and a good guy that can get you built up. Uh, but he can't take you to that next step. And 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 that's you know, that's just who Dwayne Casey is. But then my other proclamation that I wanted to make, and maybe this one's a little crazier, end of the season, Asar Thompson. NBA All-Defense, Team 2.
1: I think he actually has a better chance of making the All-Defensive team than he does of making the All-Rookie team uh, for at least the first team. Because those spots typically go to guys that pile up points, and he's just never going to be that guy, uh, at least not in his rookie season. But, yeah, uh, defensively, I I don't think – because the best part about his defense is it's not subtle. Uh when he's on the court, you you automatically know like his he makes his presence felt. Uh he, he is not going to be a secret for much longer. There There is going to be a lot of buzz around his his defensive impact because I think it is truly unique uh in the entire league. Uh the things that he can do defensively to even great players. He he makes them look uh mediocre, which I, I like what he did to Shai Gilgis Alexander was borderline criminal. And and SGA still had great numbers because as soon as Asar uh, left the game, as soon as he was matched up on anyone else, he scored. Anyone else on the Pistons, he was owning them. But Asar made him look like he didn't know what he was doing. Uh, He just couldn't shake him. I thought that was – because I have the utmost respect for Chai Gilgis-Alexander. I think he's a top-ten player in the entire league. I agree. And if if Asar can shut him down, then he can shut anybody down, in my opinion.
0: Well, I would I would even point to the game against the Bulls where, yeah, Levine did score fifty-one points and Assar got put on him late, and that was yep. pretty much done. He was he was not gonna score anymore yep. after that.
1: Forced him into three turnovers and, yeah. and several bad shots and swatted one of his jumpers back in his face.
0: Yeah, I love it. He plays defense like a guy who's been in the league for five years and is a defensive yeah. specialist. I mean, it's unbelievable what he could be. And what Jalen Duran can be, he's only 19 years old. What that kid's going to be at 24, it's – I mean, it's scary. It's scary. It's not going to
1: take a whole lot – it is not going to take a whole lot to convince me that Asar Thompson (laughs) is – could be part of a big three of a championship core. I think he has that much ability, even though he's not an excellent shot creator on his own right. I think Cade Cunningham, Jalen Duran, Asar Thompson – I, I, this is nothing against Jaden Ivey. I'm just saying those three guys have all shown me that they have the, uh, the, the ability, uh, and the talent, uh, to form, you know, a, the top three of an elite team in the NBA.
0: Uh, before we, uh, before we move on and, and get to our main topic today, I, I just, I got to talk about one more thing and we'll, and we'll talk about it quickly. We won't spend a bunch of time on it, but, Uh, Victor wembignana is this guy getting the Patrick Mahomes treatment or what? Like every, the most pedestrian thing this guy does. It's, it is put on a a NBA Twitter with the eye emoji with the eyes emoji. Like, like the guy just turned water into wine out there. Like the other night, he, he, he gets the ball at the, at the elbow and, and, you know, granted, it was a nice it was a nice move that he made to get past the defender and get to the rim. But it wasn't like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. It, yeah. it was it wasn't like no other rookie in the NBA is doing something like that. I I, I mean, the guy's averaging 16 points a game, in seven rebounds. It's not like it's not like, he, you know, I remember when Shaq came in the league, it was like you saw it immediately. This guy, this guy is amazing. He's better than good. He's amazing and i just feel like people are trying to force it with wemby and Johanna. like give him time he's not there yet he's he's good he's fine but he's not he's not like oh my god generational i can't believe this is the most important four game start for a rookie in nba history just stop it
1: to be fair he's also on a very bad san antonio spurs team like they have a couple of good players but as a team uh, they had by far the worst point differential in the NBA last year. Even worse than the Pistons. They just happen to win more close games. Yeah. Um yeah, especially with, look with Victor, I think just his uniqueness is what draws him the attention. And I think that's always what's been what has excited people about him, the potential. And you know, look I'll I'll tune into any game of his that the Pistons uh are not overlapping. Uh, just because I, I I'm I'm fascinated by him just like everybody else. Look, he's playing like a rookie right now and he's getting the treatment that, you know, a superstar would get, you know, defenses are focusing on him to an extreme level. So I, I, am not surprised that he's not putting up all-star numbers right now. I, I think what he's doing right now is, is plenty good enough uh, for a rookie, uh, a very young rookie in his first uh, week of NBA action. I i don't really, I really don't want to put him under a microscope. I just want to enjoy the moments that I do get. Yeah, and yeah, I, I don't. It here's if I can get on my soapbox for for one minute, I I really don't enjoy seeing uh media or social media mainstream media, whatever uh build up uh, young athletes because I know the second they make a mistake, you're I know what's I know what's going on. It, it's for the engagement. It's for yes. you know the ratings, the attention. And it's also because everybody knows nobody's perfect and eventually they're going to screw up. And when they screw up and they look human, you're going to get just as much attention and engagement they're crush you them. as we did building them up. Yeah. I, 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 it's a shell game and I hate it. Uh, oh, I know so it. that's, bo- that's, so, so box off.
0: that's, that's my, let me, hold on. Let me jump on the soapbox for a second. That's my big problem with this here is that they're putting this kid on a pedestal that he could possibly never live up to. Yeah. And, and, yeah like you said the first time he screws up they are going to crush him look at the detroit lions i mean, they just did it a week ago Uh suddenly they're fraudulent they're the you know i we believed in them and they lost a game and they're horrible and and now people are starting to come back after they kind of handled the raiders on monday night but yeah it's it's a it's a hot take business and i get that but I mean, come on, let's let the kid have at least a month of playing before we start talking yeah. about how great he is and, or whatever. All right. Anyhow, let's get to Dave Bing. And there's no really better place to start than uh, Dave Bing is blind in one eye. Let's go. Let's start there. What happened to Dave Bing's right eye?
1: So as a very young boy, uh just just playing around in a a game that no one today would understand Uh, he suffered an accident where he got stabbed in his left eye with a nail and his family not dirt poor but they couldn't essentially afford the the medical care it would take to fix his eye so his eye was just left to heal on its own and it did but he's essentially blind in his left eye ever since uh says he can see colors. Uh, he cannot see shapes. All he sees is colors and lights. Uh, that That's really all he can see uh, out of his left eye. So really since childhood, he's been living his life with one good eye, his right eye. And for a brief moment, he didn't even have that, but we'll get into that later.
0: Uh, something that before we get to uh, to, to Syracuse, where he's going to play his college ball, uh, I found a really interesting thing in his, in his bio. Uh, so he, Dave Bing grew up in, in, in DC uh, mm-hmm. and a musical legend, a Motown legend, Marvin Gaye also grew up in DC and the two uh, would play basketball against each other. And I just thought that was insane. And and Marvin Gaye credits Dave Bing as one of the reasons that he gave up playing basketball and decided to sing Because clearly, he just could not handle Dave on the court.
1: Yeah, and the irony is that Dave Bing didn't even grow up playing basketball. Uh, He grew up a baseball player. Uh, That was his first love as a kid. And he hit a a late growth spurt in in high school, and he he switched to basketball uh, because he he was an incredible athlete, even at that point. And he was just more well-suited to the game of basketball than he was uh, baseball. And he... (laughs) he adapted to it so quickly he was a high school all-american by his by his senior season uh he wasn't one of the highest recruited players in the country uh but he was a a known blue chip prospect uh by the time he he left uh, his high school days in washington
0: Marvin Gaye's connection to detroit sports is just in, incredible it is. it's fantastic uh, like this guy he you know he tried out for the detroit lions like he uh, he also he he had uh Melfar Lem Barney are are singing backups on what's on what on what's going on I'm like one of the greatest songs ever written there are Detroit Lions singing backups on it like that's it's just it's it's crazy to be but uh Dave Bing decides he's going to go to Syracuse uh where he actually rooms he's a roommate with a with guy Jim who, Mayheim. Yeah, yeah he's
1: kind of like it's kind of so. like the, the the Forrest Gump of the uh, yes of, of of basketball players because he keeps running into people who would later on become uh, famous.
0: He touches and everything. Yeah. So
1: yeah, Syracuse. And keep in mind, this is not the Syracuse of today. Uh, Syracuse in the nineteen fifty yeah. or excuse me, nineteen sixties wasn't. They didn't even have a conference. They were an independent team, and they had only made the NCAA tournament once uh, in their existence prior to Dave being coming there. Uh, Dave Bing, he is an absolute star for Syracuse. Uh, in his three years there, about 25 points a game, uh, eight rebounds. His senior season, uh, averages 28 points a game, uh, shoots over 54% from the floor. He gets he gets Syracuse all the all the way to the Elite Eight. They lose to Duke, uh, uh, but all that being said. Uh, he is still an all-amer uh, a first-team all-American, and he, he just has he, he's still one of Syracuse's best players ever. I don't even think it's that close. Uh, now on the other hand, there is another collegian, uh, in the same year as him, that had been having a you know he was putting up much bigger numbers at a much more uh, I would say popular uh basketball university and that is Cassie Russell uh at the University of Michigan. And this will come into play for reasons that I'm about to get into.
0: Yes. So, so, go ahead. Uh Bing is gonna go out for the 1966 NBA draft. And Russell is too. And this is where things uh get pretty crazy, Keith. Go ahead and tell him this wild story.
1: So yeah, uh Cassie Russell just to paint the picture, extremely dominant athletic, uh, isolation, high scoring forward averaged over 30 points a game at a time when there wasn't even a shot clock, uh, got Michigan to back to back final fours, uh, got them to the national championship game. They did not win it, but he, he was the national player of the year. Uh, I, he, he might've been national player of the year, his last two seasons. Uh, I, I can't remember his junior season, but, um, uh, the point being this uh, he was at that time by far the most highly touted prospect the state of Michigan had ever had and after his se- after his season ended at michigan uh, he was coming to pistons games like th- there would be crowds just to see him watch just to just to see him be in attendance at pistons games and he was sitting near the owner and they were having conversations like this there's <laughs> this is long before the era of tampering was a thing uh, it was just assumed by everybody, especially because the Pistons were, at the time, uh, the NBA's worst team. I mean, a lot of years in the 1960s, they were the worst team. But in 1966, they hit rock bottom. They finished 22-58. Uh, they were the worst team in the league by eight games. It wasn't even close. But here's the thing. Uh, everyone assumed the Pistons were going to get Cassie Russell, and assumption is a problem. Uh, first thing we had this, uh, thing back in the 1950s and sixties called the territorial, uh, draft selection where any team, uh, who had a local prospect, uh, within a certain radius, I want to say a, a 50 mile radius could claim him, could claim their, their rights to him and then simply forfeit their first round pick in that draft. Uh, the Pistons famously used this for Dave DeBuscher, uh, among other things, uh, the six, the uh, Philadelphia Warriors used it for Wilt Chamberlain, even though Wilt played in Kansas, simply because he grew up uh, in Philadelphia. And I think that created a big legal problem for the NBA because there was this guy that was about to start playing basketball in UCLA. Uh, his name was Lew Alcinder, would later be known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he grew up in New York City, uh, but he chose to play basketball, college basketball in Los Angeles. So in that scenario, uh, three years down the road, the NBA is saying, uh, we're gonna have to go to court because the Lakers and the Knicks are gonna sue each other, uh, for for his territorial rights. So what happens in 1966? The NBA votes to rescind the territorial draft rights, which undercuts the Detroit Pistons, who begged them to let it go one more year, and, and the league said no. We're gonna we're gonna kill it right now. So that being said, uh, the Pistons now had to rely on what we had before the lottery which was a coin flip between the teams with the two worst records uh even prior to 1984 we hit 85 we, had, we still had something of a lottery and this was like one of the most followed coin flips uh in the history of sports uh the the pistons actually had acquired a copy um it was this gold like 20 dollar coin piece that the nba used for their coin flip the Pistons had acquired an identical coin and they were testing it to see if it leaned one way or the other, uh, in thousands and thousands of flips. Uh, that's how locked, that's how locked in they were, uh, with, that's how desperate they were to win this coin flip. And whatever the research showed, uh, Dave DeBuscher, who was both the Pistons coach and small forward at that time, their, their current star, uh, he goes up to the, um, I don't know if they were, I think they phoned it and I don't think they were there in person. But anyway, uh Dave DeBuscher at the time of the coin flip calls head or excuse me, calls um he calls tails and the coin comes up heads. And there was actually media. Um Jerry Green, who was the Pistons beat writer at the time, was in was actually at uh, uh Cassie Russell's place, um, just doing a story on him uh the night of the coin flip. And he said, Cassie Russell picked up his phone and it was the Knicks. And they said, congratulations, you're going with us. And that was it. That was the end of it. And it, it's kind of the, the, the irony is that, you know, Dave Bing, of course, played his college ball at Syracuse in New York. So the New Yorkers were very familiar with him. So no one was happy with this arrangement. Uh, the Pistons lost their their local star and so did, so did the New York fans. Uh, the difference was that the Pistons... Uh, against their own judgment wound up getting uh one of the most explosive point guards in nba history uh and and they would have picked Cassie russell over dave Bing had they landed the first pick uh even they would have admitted that it just happened to be a stroke of luck that they lost the coin flip and they wound up with dave bing whose first one of his first questions he was asked uh in his introductory press conference in detroit was what's it like not to be wanted uh, it wasn't set out of malice. It was just everyone was so disappointed about losing Cassie Russell, and then, then Dave Bing, you know, actually suited up and started playing basketball, and everybody in Detroit forgot
0: about Cassie Russell. And Cassie wound up having, you know, decent career, made an All Star team, won a championship in 1970. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he's he's not Dave Bing. Nope. Uh, so everything kind of worked out, uh, well, and actually it worked out well right away because. As you mentioned, Dave Bing is going to have a tremendous rookie season that he's going to win the Rookie of the Year. Uh, talk to me yeah. about uh, his 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 rookie year.
1: Yeah, right away he was special. Um, I, I'm I'm guessing the Rookie of the Year trophy had his name on it after the first month of the season because he's outclassed everybody uh, in his draft class. He is one of three piston rookies ever to score 40 points in a game. He had 47 against Baltimore. Uh, for my money, his most impressive game as a rookie was his his matchup with Jerry West, where he dropped 35 on, on him in a, in a Pistons win. Uh, Jerry West had the utmost respect for Dave Bing. Uh, Dave Bing gave him, and Jerry West is one of the all-time greatest defensive guards ever, and he said uh, Dave Bing gave him more problems than just about anybody. Uh, yeah, the the Pistons still weren't very good because they were still dealing with a player coach, uh, Bing's rookie year. Um, uh, but aside from that, uh, yeah, he, he was the runaway winner for rookie of the year. And things got a little bit better for them the next season because they finally decided, Hey, maybe our starting power forward shouldn't be our head coach anymore. Yeah. And they, they get Dave to to give up his coaching responsibilities. Uh, and they put a guy by the name of Donis Butcher uh, in his place, an actual full-time head coach. And the Pistons kind of – I don't want to say they took off because they were barely a 500 team, but they were a much, much improved team, especially DeBusher himself was much better. Uh, is simply a player, not a player coach. And I think B- uh, Dave Bing improved as well.
0: Oh, Dave Bing definitely improved. They got rid of Jackie Moon, uh, <laughs> so no more player, <laughs> coach, owner. Uh, and and Dave Bing goes on to lead the league in scoring. It, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, up until this point, had led the league in scoring for a number there, of yeah. years.
1: His whole career,
0: yeah, yeah, for his whole career. Dave Bing, this kid, second year in the league, breaks his breaks his uh, his point record. Not not points per game, but total points. Yeah. And uh, and it was phenomenal. He's All NBA in '68. Makes his first All Star team in '68. Um. And, and 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 there's another thing we'll talk about here once they get to the playoffs but but uh tell me more about that 68 season
1: it's weird to look at that season because you have Bing and DeBush are both having you know one of the best seasons of their careers and the pistons are kind of a small ball team because they don't have much front court depth uh DeBush are really a, a, an undersized power forward and he's kind of the guy that's kind of man the middle at at times but they look it was working for them they improved to almost a 500 team which was a way better than how they were the previous two years but man it it, it's kind of bittersweet looking at it because it, it wasn't allowed to last it was just that they had that one season as teammates and you you kind of wish that you could have seen how it would have played out but look uh dave bing did lead the league in points uh, scored, he he snapped Will Chamberlain's stranglehold on that number. Uh, now, to be fair, he did not lead the league in scoring average. Oscar did, but Oscar Robertson played far fewer games than Dave Bing did. Uh, I believe he had an injury at some point. So, yeah, depending on what criteria you use, he might have led the league in scoring average. He might not. Uh, <laughs> it all depends on on you look at Oscar's games played. But it, look, in any case, for for a guy in his second year, and he was All NBA first team, uh, his second year over Jerry West of all people, uh, that that is phenomenal for a second year guard. And this is where I'd like to get into what Dave Bing's game was. Uh, if I had to compare him to any modern player, uh, it would be uh, Derek Rose or maybe Russell Westbrook. I would say Derek Rose would be more accurate. Uh, because again, Dave Bing having no peripheral vision in his left eye was kind of forced uh, to just blindly drive to the rim, uh, no pun intended. Uh, He didn't have a lot of peripheral vision in his left side. So when he drove to the rim, uh, he was driving to score more often than not. And Bing, for my money, was the first uh, guard that dominated on sheer athleticism. Uh, All the other guards prior to that were, do- were dominating like Oscar or Jerry West or Bob. They, they were dominating based on skill. They were dominating based on being physically bigger than all of the other. Uh, Dave Bing wasn't physically bigger. He was like 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, he wasn't small, but he was getting to the rim simply by being faster and, and more agile and having better body control than everyone else on the court. Uh, even in a clogged lane, he could get through a crease – and it was almost like he would get to the rim and decide what he was going to do. Once he was in the air, like he was too fast for his own decision-making, but there, there are some plays in my, my tape of him as a piston is, I wish it could be bigger. I'll look at it that way. But I, I've seen him make plays uh, that are just mind blowing where he would just jump over people. And then at the last second, make a no look pass because he spotted somebody that had an open shot Uh he is the most athletic point guard the Pistons have ever had. Uh, look, you can, if you want to call Jaden Ivey a point guard, whatever. I, I think Dave Bing was just as fast as Jaden Ivey. And I think he was more skilled. Uh, but I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that just from a physically, uh, ath- physical athleticism standpoint, I think Dave Bing is still the gold standard of Pistons point guards. Uh he, he was that explosive, that spectacular. So, uh, after saying that, we get to the 1968 playoffs. The Pistons are the last team in. They're playing the Bill Russell-led Boston Celtics. Uh, They're not the champions at this point, but they're on their way to winning two more. And... Dave Bing puts the fear of God into the Boston Celtics. They they win two out of the first three games. Uh, he was by far the, the the leading scorer for the series. They just had no answer for Bill Russell in the middle. Uh, even after they lost game six at home uh, and their season was over, uh, Dave Bing scored 44 points in that game. Uh, he did not give up, and they never had an answer for him uh, until the very end. And Unfortunately, I think the front office took the wrong message uh, from this series loss. Which was we need to get a center because Bill Russell uh, dominated us, so they trade Dave DeBusschere, uh for Walt Bellamy, which is a move that, that uh it looks bad in in hindsight. Uh, Bill Russell hated it, or excuse me, Dave Bing hated it in real time. So I feel vindicated saying it's one of the worst trades, uh in Pistons history, and things kind of went back to uh back to being miserable after that.
0: Well, he does, he does make another all-star team in 69 though. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. And, and that's nice. Uh, but things are kind of like you mentioned, starting to trend down 70. He doesn't make it. He does not make an all-star team in 70. And he plays, yeah, because, he plays 70 games. I mean, it's not like, you know, because well, the Pistons were the worst team. They were back to being the worst team in the league again. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and,
1: and that's really how they were so bad that they got another number one pick. Uh, chance and they actually won this coin flip and, and that's how they wound up getting bob lanier but yeah the the pistons for those two years after they traded to busher were it, and it was clear almost right away that walt bellamy was not the answer to anybody's problems and it was almost a stroke of luck that they were so bad that they wound up getting the franchise center that they thought that he, they thought they had needed uh prior to that and yeah things started to look up uh once Bob Lanier, and again, Bob Lanier had a torn ACL in the final four. So they drafted a guy that was already hurt. I think he was still in the hospital when the Pistons drafted him.
0: Well, that's, uh, you know, but... we do that in Detroit. We draft guys with torn ACLs.
1: <laughs> we, we do. It's kind of a,
0: uh, a legacy at this point. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes. Uh,
1: but. Lanier is going to get a, gets a lot of credit, uh, in 70, 71, his rookie season, even though he can't play like he's still recovering from, uh, a, a, from blowing his knee out. And they actually put him on the court every single game. Uh, he could barely play like half the game, but even that was enough. Uh, the Pistons, his 1970, 71, they win their first. they start nine and zero. they win their first nine games. Uh, no Pistons team has ever done that since even the championship teams, uh, you know, it turns in, it's a bit of a mirage because, you know, on the season they allowed a few more points than they scored, uh, but they still won 45 games. Uh, but because of the weird uh, decision by the NBA to put them in the Western Conference uh, that season, uh, they're, they play in the best division in the NBA by far. And even though they have the seventh best record in the NBA, they are left out of the playoffs uh, because they finished last in their division. <laughs> it's
0: uh. <laughs> But We, need, um, we yeah. need to back back it up just a little bit here because you just said something that blew my mind. And we'll talk more about this, obviously, when we get to the Bob Lanier episode. But you're telling me that Bob Lanier tears his ACL during the final four and yet
1: no, let, plays let me, let in the first let me, nine. Correct games? Myself. Let me correct myself. It was the elite. They won the Elite Eight. Uh yeah. He tore his ACL in the closing minutes of the Elite Eight. Okay, that's So like St. Bonaventure the goes to the Final four. four without him.
0: Yes. But then he plays in the regular season, first games of the regular season, with a partially torn ACL, or with a healing torn ACL, I should say. Yep.
1: Yep.
0: This See, this is this is where we get into the trouble that we have now with some of our older... Detroit fans where any time a player gets hurt, they're like, Oh, back in my day. Well, you know, that's really stupid. That they it, it gets
1: worse. Play. Um, not only did he play the first game, he played every game.
0: That's dumb.
1: All, he did not miss a game his rookie season.
0: That is incredibly dumb.
1: Number one pick in the draft with a a freshly surgically repaired uh left uh-huh. knee.
0: And uh, just think, think science wasn't anywhere near what it is now. Yeah. And guys are yep. out for a year.
1: Yeah. The re the rehabilitation. Yeah. It, it was, it's nowhere near uh, as effective and as efficient as it was. Yeah. Like 50 <laughs> years ago, as it is today. He's and, out there uh,
0: playing with a, with a healing scar on his knee, <laughs> yep. let alone. Uh, and and oh. his
1: knee never really healed. And that's the thing. We'll, we'll get, we'll do a Bob, a Bob, near episode. I promise. Cause he's, one of my favorite players of all time. But uh yeah, his knee never truly heals. So you never really get to see, you know, a hundred percent Bob Lanier. You just get to see like the 80, 90% because, you know, his knee just didn't work a hundred percent for the entirety of his career.
0: Well, before we jump to 1972, one, one, an- another big thing happens for Dave big in 1971, he scores his uh, career high 54 points. Yep. In a loss to the Chicago Bulls. Yep. Which sucks because anytime we talk about a Piston scoring its career points, it's almost always in a loss.
1: So the... And we'll, we'll hear more from the Bulls a little bit later. But the the seventy-one seventy-two season uh, was a seismic one for Dave Bing. I'm sure he remembers that summer to this day. Uh, because a couple of things happened. Uh, one, uh, he, he actually signs a contract to leave the Pistons for the ABA, uh for the uh the the new franchise that's gonna be in Washington, D.C. And at the last second he pull the rug out from under him and say, no, you're not gonna go and you're not gonna be in DC. Um we're gonna play in Virginia. Uh they they were later to be known as the Virginia Squires. Uh and the Virginia Squires famously never really had a a home city. They played in multiple cities throughout the state of Virginia uh, not really DC and that was enough for Dave Bing to back out on the contract but if they had stayed in DC uh, I guess they were afraid of competing with the bullets I don't know I don't know the reasoning why or maybe they just couldn't get to uh, find an arena in the area I don't know right but longer. but in any case Dave Bing at the last second backs out and returns to the Pistons he, he nearly left them that season or that summer and then we go to the uh, that season, uh, 71-72. Uh, Dave Bing, remember, uh, we said this in the beginning, uh, his left eye is not usable. All he can see is light out of it. And he gets elbowed hard uh, in his right eye in preseason against the Lakers. Uh, uh, Harry Harrison uh, hits him in his right eye. And it's bad, but he can still see out of it. And then a couple of days later, he just loses his sight. He just flat out loses it. Um, like while driving, he has to pull over to the side of the road uh, because he can no longer see in his right eye. And what happened was, uh, it when he got hit in his right eye, his retina came loose and it, it completely detached. Uh, a few days later, uh, and this is horrifying because now he can't see out of either eye, and he has to. He has surgery. Uh, to repair it, but that it takes a matter of weeks to figure out if that surgery is successful or not. So he's having to cover, like having a a gauze a cover over his right eye, for for weeks, and he can't see out of his left other than blur, uh, like blurs, and, and light. So he is essentially blind for for several weeks, and it becomes a big news story. Uh. <laughs> the entire country doesn't know if Dave Bings are going to ever be able to see again and I think that was the first time that it came out that he was actually blind because he hid it from just about everybody uh, he didn't want his opponents to know that he was blind in one eye so th- th- it just it's just coming out now I think at this point that he never had a, a functional left eye to begin with and his right eye might may, may now be gone uh it it shocked a lot of people. Uh, Jerry West wrote to him in the hospital. Um, but as it turned out, uh, after a few months, he was his eyesight was clo- close to back to normal. He said he never had any, he lost his peripheral vision in his right eye, but he could see straight ahead just fine. So now he has no per- peripheral vision at all. And yet he returns and, and manages to play a little more than half the season. Uh, <laughs> once again, just just in and, and this is not a great season like he returns and he plays well uh averages i think 23.7 assists and yeah he as soon as he gets back he has to deal with uh a a quote-unquote mutiny in the locker room uh howard komize who's not anybody's favorite nba basketball player uh who is white um he has his uh shortly after bing returns uh they play a game in, in baltimore and they win but in the process howard comives gets a uh, dnp coach's decision he does not play and it snaps his 200 and, i think it was a 264 straight games uh played uh streak and he goes after the game and he says that Earl Lloyd who had just been named head coach uh only the second uh African American head coach in NBA history said that Earl Lloyd uh did not play him because he was white and even though if you a simple peek at the box score can see that's bs because the pistons only had three white players at the time one of them actually played i think he started and another guy was injured so the only guy that got left on the bench was Howard Gomez But being that it's the early 70s, um, yeah, Earl Lloyd does not get the benefit of the doubt. And Dave Bing has to step in and put out the flames of this. And he really takes uh, Howard Comayefs to tasks. He forces him to apologize publicly uh, to Earl Lloyd. But at that point, the damage had been done. Earl Lloyd had been undermined and... It just wasn't going to work out for him in Detroit. He 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 did ultimately lose his job, uh, midway through the the next season. But I I I wanted to mention that uh, simply because uh, Dave Bing had to, and it's not the first time or the last time in his career that he has had to manage, you know, other people's uh stupidity, and he handled the whole thing with grace, and that's something that he's going to continue to do uh throughout his life.
0: Yeah, that's uh that is unfortunate. Um but yeah wow. Uh well let's let's move on to something a little bit more positive. So in in 1973, uh a couple couple things. Um first off there are uh let's see two hundred and fifteen players in the NBA in nineteen seventy three only twenty three of them were able to play all eighty two games Dave Bing was one of them. Yep.
1: that's notable. It's really, it, and it's really the only positive note in that season. Uh, other than the fact that once Erloy does get fired er- early on, he is replaced by Ray Scott and Ray Scott, um, a very well liked coach by everybody. Uh, actually he, he kind of turns it around, uh, towards the end of that season. And it, bleeds into the following season 73 74 which is the only season of the 1970s that the, the Detroit Pistons can be proud of
0: the, the other thing though is uh and and quickly we won't get too deep into it but we talk about how Dave Bing is kind of like the Forrest Gump of the of Detroit sports well yeah. he touches another player here because in 1973 uh his teammate Jimmy Walker has a son and you all know that son who his name is Jalen Rose. Uh, he is the godfather of Jalen Rose, who is never played for the Pistons, but yet is like almost an honorary member of the team. Uh, right. he's he's a big part of the organization now, even though he once again never played a single game for this team. Uh, I wish he had, but it didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's weird how it just keeps touching all these these di- uh, different situations. But let's get to nineteen seventy four. Like you said, you call it. Uh, or they call it the gold standard.
1: And it really is. It was the very first time in in Pistons history that they have a 51 season. They go 52 and 30. Uh, Dave Bing is now 30 years old at this point. Uh, Physically, uh, he's still pretty good. Uh, His eyesight really diminishes his game. He can't drive as much as effectively as he used to, but he also can't shoot as effectively because of the depth perception uh, but he is make no mistake. He's still an all star, and he doesn't have to be the best player in the team anymore. Uh, Bob Lanier is now the best player in the Pistons, but they form a, a really effective one two punch. Uh, there's a there's a little bit of depth, but it's really Bing and Lanier uh, leading the charge as the two stars of the team. Uh, Dave Bing, nineteen points, uh, seven assists. Uh, it's his final All NBA selection. I think it's his third one of his career. Uh, well deserved. Uh, Ray Scott wins coach of the year. Uh, the Pistons complete a this great turnaround where they win fifty two games. They get into the playoffs. Um, in the second round, they meet the Chicago Bulls. It's the very first Pistons Bulls playoff series, and it's honestly one of the most impa- most memorable ones. Uh, even though there's not a whole lot of tape on it, uh, but it, it was this great contrast between this this star. They, they were both defensive teams. They were both physical teams, but the Pistons had the star power in the Pistons-Bulls matchup, which is kind of odd. Uh, they had being, they had linear, they had the two best players in the court and Chicago had kind of this um, collection of of role-playing, of I would say star role players, uh, Jerry Sloan, Norm Van Leer, Bob Love, guys that were never superstars, but all like very tough players in their own right. And you know, they they slug it out, the Pistons and the Bulls. They they slug it out for seven games. Uh Ray Scott has this quote uh after the Dave Bain leads the Pistons. I think he has his best game in game six. Uh 22 points, 10 assists. Pistons tie the series, descended to Chicago. Uh Ray Scott has one of my favorite quotes uh that the, the Bulls thought this series would be a piece of cake, and now they're choking on it. Um <laughs> They go to a Game 7, and the, the Pistons get blown out in the first half. Uh, they're down 19 points. They come back. Uh, they actually it at one point in the fourth quarter. Uh, with less than a minute to go, they find themselves down by four points. Uh, Dave Bing scores the Pistons' last bucket of the game to get them within two uh, with about 28 seconds left. The Bulls don't get a shot off. They committed a violation with three seconds left in the game, Pistons call timeout, down two, Dave Bing inbounds, and uh, the the backup center for the Chicago, Chicago Bulls, they, it, the, the play was simply for Dave Bing to lob the ball into Bob Lanier, but the problem is that everybody in the building knew that. So the, the backup center for the Chicago Bulls, Dennis Autry, Uh, he is able to, the the lob pass was off a little bit and he was able to, to knock it away. And that was essentially the end of the, the series and the Pistons lose the series by two points, even though by most metrics, you know, they, they were the better team over the course of seven games. Uh, they just couldn't win the close ones. And that was sadly the, the only opportunity, uh, of Dave Bing's career really to, to go to the conference finals and to play for a championship.
0: Well yeah that's that is that is unfortunate and uh as we know or as you're going to tell us soon uh things are going to start going downhill pretty fast for the Pistons yeah. and Dave Bing uh they do he does play for the Pistons in 1975 um you know it's an all-star year he's 31 years old a decent decent season not his best work he's he's uh you know you would you would kind of mention off air that he's kind of at this point, he's making all-star teams as kind of sort of like a name recognition type thing. Uh, and then yeah. there's going to be a bad breakup. Yeah, so
1: after after the great season the Pistons had in 74, uh, Fred Zollner, who founded the Pistons, <laughs> the the original, he, the only owner of the Pistons that ever had, uh, he finally gives in because the NBA is not doing very well in the mid-70s. He gives in and he sells... The, the Pistons, to uh, a glass magnate uh, by the name of Bill Davidson that some Piston fans may have heard of. And the issue is that Dave Bing had a some under-the-table handshake agreements uh, with Fred Zollner, according to Dave Bing, uh, that there was some deferred money that he was owed uh, to, at the end of his contract as opposed to the beginning. And after 1975, that money was due. And he had no legal claim. He had no paperwork and he explained, explained it to uh, bill Davidson and bill Davidson basically told him, I don't see any contract. I'm not going to pay you anything. And Dave Bing's first reaction is to hold out in camp for, to get the money that he uh, recouped and, and possibly in a contract extension. And back then, NBA contracts were ironclad. There was no player empowerment. Um, he was basically told uh if he didn't show up they would simply not pay him <laughs> and it it really backfired on Dave Bing but honestly it backfired on the Pistons because it made Dave Bing not want to play there anymore uh he did not want to play for Bill Davidson ever again so even though he played for him uh he was contractually obligated to he had a good season like you said he was an all-star uh even though he was declining uh his his heart kind of wasn't in it the Pistons do make the playoffs, but they aren't nearly as good. They get ousted by the Sonics in the first round. And after the end of that season, um, you know, Bing requests to be traded and they grant him that request. And I think the saddest part about this is it's a straight player for player swap. Uh, Dave Bing goes to the Washington bullets in exchange for Kevin Porter Uh, no relation to Kevin Porter jr. Uh, just their point guard Kevin Porter, and the Pistons actually have to give up a first, a future first-round pick in the exchange. Uh, that's kind of where Dave Bing's value was at that point. Uh, just unhappy. Everybody knew he had, you know, major eyesight problems, and he goes to Washington and he makes his final All-Star appearance in Washington. Uh, even though that to that point it was by far the worst numbers of his career, but he makes it. Washington's a good team and it's kind of a reputation selection but you know credit to him uh, they they don't get very far in the playoffs i think they they lose their first playoff series uh, 78 it gets worse he gets you know, i think dick Mata takes over as coach the the, the former coach of the bulls uh, in the 70s and he's not very fond of dave bing and he essentially benches dave bing and D- dave bing doesn't get much time off the bench and it was the most miserable season of his career. And he asks not to be traded at that point. He asks just to be let go because no one's going to trade for him uh, at his age. So and I think the real tragic part about his time in Washington is this. Uh, 1975, the Bullets make the finals. Uh, 78 and 79, uh, they make the finals. One of those years they won a championship. But 76 and 77, the two years that Dave Bing was there, uh, they were not even a factor it, it, it's kind of you almost wish he could have just sucked it up and and agreed to stay he would have gotten a ring out of the deal even if he wouldn't have participated a lot but I understand you know being a great player it, it's really really hard to deal with not playing at all so he prefers to go to a place that will, pay, will play him and that winds up being the Boston Celtics
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess the big thing there in Boston is that he he is going to be a starter even, you know, at kind of uh, a later point in his career. Uh, And you mentioned kind of, you know, you know, the Celtics team is not far off from winning a championship either. So he kind of misses out, misses out on that as well. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, not a great end to his career, but otherwise, I, I mean, you know, clearly one of the best Pistons ever.
1: Well, I, th- I think the, the, the ironic thing is I think it, the Dave Bing's final season, uh, he was actually kind of happy because he started, he played, and he played with another legend in John Havlicek. Uh, the the Celtics' starting backcourt, uh, were they were both in their farewell seasons at the same time, uh, both Hall of Famers. Uh, the Celtics weren't very good. They weren't terrible, but they weren't good enough to be a, a playoff team. And Red Auerbach does – uh, try to get Dave Bing to stick around because he believes that Bing isn't physically drained like Havlicek. He thinks he has a couple more years left in him. Uh, but Bing, at at that point, I think was just ready to call it quits and, and go out on his own terms uh, as opposed to being forced out. I, th- I think he was in a good headspace in 1978. Uh, he was just ready to walk away and move on with the next stage of his life.
0: Well, uh, he's going to get some some huge, huge honors uh, from the NBA. Not only is he he, going to be uh, a Hall of Famer, he's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, He's also going to have his part on the NBA's 50 Greatest Players team uh, that was announced in 1997. And then he is uh, on the NBA's 75th anniversary team, which was announced just a couple years ago. And he's also... Uh, the he was the first piston ever to have his number retired, and uh, and it took him quite a while before they retired the next one.
1: Yeah, for a ten year period, they they retired Bing's number uh, in nineteen eighty three, and they didn't retire Lanier's number until nineteen ninety three. So for a ten year period, the the only jersey in the rafters was number twenty one, and Dave Bing goes on to be he he's George Blaha's first full time TV partner. Uh, really, uh, he's the he's the first guy that that people remember uh, calling games, doing commentary with George Blaha. So it's not like he just left basketball entirely. Uh, eventually, he did because he he goes into business, becomes uh, a titan of industry with Bing steel. Uh, he he later on in in his life, uh, when Detroit, the city of Detroit, is at its absolute lowest point, uh, he gets into politics and he runs for mayor Uh, and I think he was very important whether whether or not you you agree that he did he really accomplished anything as the mayor of Detroit we won't get into that Uh, but I think he put a face of respect and dignity on a city that was really struggling and had a lot of people throwing arrows at it and Dave Bing was kind of a, a PR shield for the city at that time uh, no one was ever going to say a negative thing about Dave Bing, who was, you know, as long as people have known Dave Bing, he's been one of the true gentlemen of the sport. It's almost like Detroit's Julius Irving, uh, where you, it's almost shameful if you try to disparage the man. Uh, Always well-spoken, always friendly, always dignified. I, I, I think all of those things represent what Dave Bing's always been about.
0: Yeah, we won't, we won't get into any policy or how much. So you know, somebody had a, a part in 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 what, but I will say this, you know, that he was the mayor during, during the time when Detroit very publicly went bankrupt as a city. And this is, we're talking about the lowest point possible. And I think he, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to give him a hundred percent credit or anything like that. I don't think anybody will, but I will say that he's a big part of Detroit becoming what it is today. I, I think he definitely is one of the people who has a part in that. And, uh, and I think that, you know, he should be celebrated for that. Um, although the, the most recent time that Dave Bing made news in Detroit, well, it wasn't that great. Uh, so obviously I think if you don't remember, uh, Dave was, uh, on a hot mic and it was asked about Cade Cunningham and he just straight up said that he you Know, not I'm not saying verbatim, but he said that he didn't think that Dave, uh, that Kate Cunningham was a guy that you could build a team around. And my goodness, Pistons Twitter just lit this man up.
1: Yeah, um, he wasn't wrong about killing Ace, I'll say that. No, he wasn't
0: wrong about killing Ace. No. Uh, look, and you,
1: look, you have to look at it from the prism of how Dave Bing. Viewed the game of basketball. Dave Bing was a guy with an airtight handle, with lightning quick speed, uh, excellent jumper uh, out to sixteen to seventeen feet. Uh, very good outside shooter. Uh, there was nothing stopping him from scoring the ball pretty much whenever he wanted to. So, and Kate Cunningham is more of a cerebral player. Uh, Kate Cunningham is a guy that's going to beat you with his mind, not his legs. Uh, and he's also a very big guard. He is kind of the antithesis of what Dave Bing was so I, I can understand if it would be hard for Dave Bing to relate to a player like Kate Cunningham uh, that isn't a guy that can get to the basket uh, simply through sheer force of will uh, like Dave Bing could they were very different types of players so I and, and, and just in general um, it's Dave Bing you can disagree with him D- don't disrespect the man
0: yep Well, that is going to, well, if I forgot, uh, our, our, our two, uh, questions first, what is Dave Bing's, uh, legacy? And I, for me, I think it's pretty simple. He's the first, uh, superstar Piston.
1: Yeah. He was the very first, uh, face of the face of the Detroit Pistons franchise. He was the very first guy that was synonymous with the Detroit Pistons around the league, uh, all first team NBA Uh, just uh, he there's no two ways to say it uh he was a superstar and he was a superstar in a Detroit Pistons uniform and he represented the franchise uh well well known around the league as as a, a gentleman of the sport uh that conducted himself with class and dignity he was one of the finest representatives the city of Detroit has ever had uh in any arena
0: and uh, could he play today? I'm gonna say no, because the three point line didn't exist during his playing time, and it's a huge part of today's game. And I, I don't, I don't know if he could shoot from from range. I, I mean, I don't. He never probably never really had to.
1: I, I think he was a good shooter. I, Dave, Bing himself, thought he was a, a very good. He didn't see himself as an elite shooter, but he was a capable outside shooter. Uh, but if you recall, who did, who what players did I compare him to? uh skill-wise at the beginning of this episode.
0: Oh man, that was so long ago, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: Derek Rose and Russell Westbrook Okay. And I I said he was he most reminded me of Derek Rose. And that's kind of to me that's who Dave Bing is. It just the raw athleticism, the ability to to get to the basket even in a crowd, uh, in score or make plays. To me, I, his athleticism is was so good. I think in the 1960s, I think he would be visibly athletic today. I think his handle was that good. I think his explosiveness, his speed was that good. And at 6'3", he wasn't a small guard either. Uh, I, I think he could definitely play today. How good he would be, I don't know. But he would have to be a different type of player because he would have grown up with a three-point line. So I, I think we have to take that into account. But I don't think he was ever noted as being a terrible shooter until he had that second eye injury and there were kind of whispers that he couldn't shoot from, you know, past 17, 18 feet. Cause he, he, he couldn't see the basket well enough.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, if he did play today, he would benefit from uh much, much better uh, medical stuff. Yeah. Uh,
1: Bing I'm and Lanier both. A,
0: yes. Bing, uh, Lanier especially because he wouldn't have been on that court uh oh. day one of the uh you know the season so that is gonna wrap up uh our dave bing episode there is uh one last and i'm gonna cap it we'll, we'll just talk for like two minutes about this there's one last thing i wanted to talk about not dave Bing related a big trade happened this week how quickly do the clippers regret getting james hard
1: you know what if they hadn't already gotten russell westbrook i think this would have been a slam dunk trade for the clippers the only chance this works is if both Harden and Westbrook realize they're getting up there in years. This is probably the last chance they're going to have to compete for a championship and play a significant role. So maybe they play the, they both play the good soldier and let Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George take the lead. Cause look, the Clippers have even with as old as they are, the Clippers have so much talent. Uh, I think you put, Hard like Harden or Westbrook, one of them is going to have to come off the bench. I don't think they can play in the same backcourt, not especially not with Kawhi and Paul George. So they're going to have to figure that out. Uh, But if they can put their ego aside, and that is an enormous if, I I think the Clippers could absolutely win a championship this year if they stay healthy.
0: Here's the thing: they won't. Uh, they won't put their egos aside. You're Uh, probably right. Westbrook and Harden have already collided, uh, in, in Oklahoma City. And, and then again in Houston, uh, I think that they're going to wind up colliding again here in Los Angeles. It's just not going to work. Both guys want the ball way too much. Kawhi probably just going to get hurt again. Paul George is probably just going to get hurt again. And this this whole Clippers thing is just going to be an experiment that we look back and say, oh, remember that time they tried to form a dream team in L.A. and it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, Philly, on the other hand, I mean... They could make. They could be some players at the at the trade deadline. I think Philly could, with with the assets that they got back, and some of the expiring contracts and stuff. I I think that they could uh, make some moves.
1: I don't. Yeah, maybe for the future, but like they they understand. They also gave up PJ Tucker in that deal. You do not trade PJ Tucker if you think you're a championship team. It's just one of the things you don't do in the NBA. So I you know, don't think Philadelphia has any belief in themselves right now.
0: That's James uh, Harden. Jets Harden's, that's Harden's like best friend though, man. He's not going without him.
1: I'm just saying, PJ Tugger is still a valuable, very valuable role player. You don't yeah. trade him if you unless you have designs on not winning a championship, and you think this is something that's going to benefit us maybe next season or the season after. I think the Sixers are cooked this year. I don't think that they're going to go any further than they did last year. I don't even know if they'll get out of the first round. I think that they're Embiid and maxi, uh, but they don't have a whole lot of depth, and I don't know how much Tobias Harris has left in them.
0: Well, we'll see what happens there, but uh, we'll also see you guys next week when we are doing the 2017 NBA draft, or excuse me, 2018 NBA draft. Jeez, we're just moving along. Uh, we're going to be joined by special guest uh, Corey Woods of Live. He is the Pistons beat writer over there, also does some lion stuff too. I'm very familiar with him. We've bumped it, we've bumped into each other quite a few times and rubbed elbows and press boxes and whatnot. He's a great guy. I think you guys are gonna love him. You obviously all probably know who he is, anyways. So, uh, we will see you guys next week with Corey Woods, 2018 draft.